Welcome to Playmakers Talk Show, where business owners, professionals, and entrepreneurs gather to discover playmaking ideas for success. Your host is internationally recognized speaker, facilitator, and author, Steve Klein, who sits down with fascinating playmakers who have made themselves and their company successful. Steve will introduce you to CEOs and executives who discuss their playmaking path toward success. And now, it's time to meet this show's playmaker. Here's your host, Steve Klein. Robert Arnault said, In investing, what is comfortable is rarely profitable. Welcome to Playmakers Talk Show. I'm Steve Klein. In the studio today is a guest who works for his client's profitability. Today's Playmaker lectures on bank-related topics for universities, seminars, and conferences. With us today is a CEO who helped move the teacher retirement system of Texas from the bottom quartile to the number one ranked public pension fund in the country in its asset size group. This great playmaker is Dory Wiley. Dory is president and CEO of Commerce Street Holdings. Now, since co-founding the firm in 2007, Dory's primary focus has been the management and growth of the broker-dealer and the creation of investment funds that specialize in financial institutions and related products. Dory has over 25 years of experience in commercial investment banking and investment management. Prior to his current position with Commerce Street, Dory was president of Samco Capital Markets, which he joined in August 1996. Prior to Samco, he was vice president and manager of the Financial Institutions Group at Rauscher Pierce Refsness, now RBC Capital Markets. Well, Dory, welcome to Playmakers Talk Show. Great, Steve. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you for being here. Let's begin by finding out how you actually helped turn around the Teachers Retirement System of Texas Pun and and made them very profitable. Well, it was a, it was a team effort. It was great. I got appointed by the governor to uh, the board in 2003. And then subsequent to that, I became chair of the investment committee and chair of the alternative asset committee and part of a three-person group that went and recruited a new CIO three years into my tenure. Uh, The CIO turned out to be really good. His name was Britt Harris. And he had a plan, as I did, uh, to improve what we were doing and change what we were doing in a dramatic way. And when we implemented those changes, uh, they worked out really well, and the timing was fantastic, too, because we entered a, the crash in 2008 and 2009, and we wound up performing very well through the crash. How and why did the governor pick you? Why? Um, you know, typically on these boards of pensions, it's a, and it's a problem. You know, you see this in the Dallas Police and Fire. You have a lot of the beneficiaries or participants on the board, which is great because they are looking after their own best interest uh, uh, in the plan. But the problem is, is a lot of times they don't have financial expertise. And I was independent and I have financial expertise. So on this particular board, rather than getting a superintendent or a coach or a teacher or a professor, uh, he wanted to, uh, to his credit, not because of me, but because of the idea, uh, implement more financial expertise into the system, which I think more pension funds ought to do. I would think working for a a public pension fund like that, you're even more focused on making sure they make money. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. And I found out uh, that there were diverging interests. You know, sometimes those people get elected to the boards and they're great people and they have great thoughts and ideas, but sometimes they just want to increase the payouts to the people that voted them in. And so they have an agenda to do that. Not all of them, but some of them. 
And so you find these diverging agendas, whereas my, my sole agenda was improve the soundness and financial stability of the plan. Well, teachers don't make enough money to begin with. They don't. And what they get when they retire needs to be as, as great as possible. So uh, kudos for what you did. On the homepage of your website, it states that Commerce Street companies identify market opportunities and provide investment alternatives in order to achieve results for our clients. How do you do that? How do we do that? It really depends on the customer and the client. Yeah, As you noted earlier, we have a lot of bank clients. So banks invest in uh, SBICs, which are small business investment corporations, which we have, basically private equity and mezzanine funds that banks can invest in. Uh, but we also help them with their bond portfolios. Uh, a lot of them don't do a very good job of an, uh, managing their bond portfolios as well as they do their loan portfolios. So we can help them with that. Uh, as far as family offices, individuals, uh, uh, high net worth individuals, endowments, foundations, pension funds, there are all kinds of different ways to help them. But we we traffic in products, deals, private equity, mezzanine, real estate uh, to help diversify portfolios and get, and give them better returns. Again, you mentioned what you do is based on your clients, but you must have a number of uh, people that work with you doing uh, research to find out more about some of these products you work with your clients on. Is that correct? Absolutely. We're very fortunate to have a uh, a great team of people here, even though we're not very big, there's only 50 employees here. We do a lot of things for a small company, the mergers and acquisitions, private placements, funds. We have direct funds that we sponsor and we have funds that we manage internally. And then we're also in uh, the retirement plan business as well. well. Let's go backwards for a moment. You uh, graduated with finance and accounting from uh, Texas Tech. Uh, you then got your, uh, graduate degree from SMU. Why finance and accounting? What was your interest in that initially? You know, I always liked that. I started out as an electrical engineering major uh, at Tech, and then within a year, I was bored with it. I well, let's, was, hold, let's start with that. Sure. Why electrical engineering? I, I love science, love math, and I finally, I, I found out that I was better at math than I was physics. Um, but at the same time, I had great grades over there. Uh, part of the reason why I switched, quite frankly, there was not many girls. There were not many girls in <laughs> electrical engineering school. But I loved math and I loved finance, and I was always fascinated with the stock market. And I knew pretty early on, about sophomore year, that that's what I wanted to do. So I switched majors, got the accounting degree because I thought it would help me become a better finance investor. I've always wanted to be an investor, and I've enjoyed doing it. And so I've been on that path. So you're one of the unusual individuals that knew where they were going before they got out of school. Yes, I was very blessed. How do you see um, the banking industry? You mentioned mentioned that you work with a lot of banks. How do you see that uh, over the next few years here in the United States? You know, the banking industry, we have the most unique banking system in the whole world. Uh, most countries have a few... Uh, large banks that dominate their economy and dominate their banking system. We have uh, some money center banks here that do the same, but unlike other countries, we have thousands of community banks and hundreds of regional banks, and it really diversifies the economy. 
80% of jobs come from small businesses, and those small businesses are better supported by community banks. They have senior loan officers, people with gray hair. They can give them good advice rather than one 800 dial a banker you know that you're going to get at a big company so it's it's extremely unique to our, our economy and it helps america be great it really does to coin a phrase i guess but it really does and and it's fun you feel like working with we have 1600 bank clients and it is really fun to work with them because you really feel like you're changing america the unfortunate thing that we have going forward is uh, we're losing a lot of those community banks. So we try to start them. We try to back management teams to grow them. Uh, there's real opportunity out there. But the mergers and acquisitions uh, that are going on are going on at a faster pace than what we're starting banks. Interesting, looking back at the history of banking in Texas, at least the last 30 years, you mentioned uh, mergers and acquisitions uh, with everything that happened about uh, 85th, uh, 1985 with uh, the fall of some of the banks in Texas. There's been a major change. So how has all of that affected the U.S. economy, and where is the U.S. economy going? You know, uh, I'm going to talk about that effect with Texas and then how it affects the U.S., you know, Texas was decimated in the banking industry. We had some, a lot of large banks here with Republic and Interfirst and uh, M-Bank and, and uh, all these different banks, and they're gone. And every time a community bank would get some size over the last 30 years, it would get bought out. So we never got any big banks here. We are finally, after all these years, starting to get some decent size in some banks. Colin Frost has gotten some size. Uh, Comerica is based here now, Texas Capital. There are numerous banks in the 5 to $60 billion size here in Texas that we just didn't have, so it's very, very exciting. Now, having said that, Texas has led the nation in the economy since the downturn, and I expect it to continue to do so. It also causes Texas banks to trade at a premium that they used to, before 07 and 08, trade at a discount to the nation for the previous 20 years. So it's been an interesting turn of events, and, and I think the country finally realizes that Texas has got a pretty good, not only a pretty good economy for here, but it, it supports the whole nation. You know, for 10 years after the crash, we provided 80% of the jobs for the whole nation and growth. We've been talking about banks. How about individual investors? What can they do to overcome mistakes that they might be making to uh, make their portfolio a little more effective? Yeah, I think if they will take more of a long-term approach, they'll be better served. Uh, Warren Buffett talks about in the short term the stock market being more of a voting machine. And in the long term, it's more of a valuation machine. And so people get this short-term focus. They get ideas from their stockbroker or their friends or what's going on with CNBC. And if they'll just participate in the market and as cheaply and effectively as they can and be passive and try not to change what they're doing too much, uh, they usually wind up being a lot better. And so even though we're active managers in private equity and hedge funds and uh, real estate and SBICs, we are advocate for portfolio purposes. We advocate a very passive approach that includes a lot of indexing and uh, and then seeking outperformance in areas where it's much easier to get it on a low-cost basis. Well, let me ask you this. You mentioned a lot about banks because you work with a lot of banks. Who is, outside of banks, who is your typical client? Uh, outside of banks, I would say family offices and small foundations and endowments and pension funds. 
So you're you have a a a want a need to help these organizations be better. So my guess is, and uh, I'll ask this and see if it's it's correct. You have a almost a personal interest in making sure you help them get to where they need to be. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's an obsession. It's a passion. You know, we want people to do better. We know if if we can help them with their uh, portfolio, if we can help them with their company, and it doesn't have to be a bank. We work with oil and gas. We work in real estate. I uh, recently did a few healthcare deals. If we can help people achieve what they want to achieve and achieve their dreams, then that works for us. My it, guess is you probably take a lot of it personally, too, when things go wrong and even things when things go right. Probably more than we should, but we can't help it. <laughs> you know, it's uh, uh, we got into a business that... Uh, uh, you know, the mergers and acquisitions business, Wall Street business can be pretty cutthroat. Uh, we lose business because we're not really a cutthroat type business. Uh, we really care about our, our customers. And it's very transaction-based uh, a lot of times, but we view we don't view our business as transaction-based. We, we view it as long-term relationships. We want uh, numerous transactions with the same client, not just one. You mentioned... Uh, being conservative and work with your clients, I've read someplace that over the years, long range, you mentioned long range too, the best place to put your money is uh, in uh, the stock market and bonds uh, if you're willing to hold it and not get upset with the volatility that happens sometimes. Is that correct? Yes, yeah, a good way to participate in uh, the market if you, and really sort of participate and then go play golf. Don't do anything. Uh, you know, go buy some... Uh, passive index, uh, MSCI World Index with uh, the Lehman Ag or Barclays Ag, right? Pick an index, 60, 40, 80, 20, right? 60 stocks, 40 bonds. Or if you want to be a little more aggressive for the long term, 10, 20 years, 80% and 20%. Those portfolios, just buying those indices, outperform two-thirds of all professionally managed college, college and university endowments. There are hundreds of millions of dollars out there spent on professionals managing portfolios. And, and that's just in stocks and bonds. Think about those colleges and universities that they're outperforming. Most and many of those are also using private equity, hedge funds, real estate, and they're still not outperforming the indices. So there are some really neat ways on a low-cost basis for the average investor to outperform most professional investors. You've been talking about investing, and for most people, especially those who are getting a little, little bit older, retirement is what they're focusing on. Is that why you enter the 401k business? You know it is, and it's a passion. We looked at it for 15 years before we got into it. The 401k business started back in the 70s, 40 years ago, as insurance companies and mutual funds pushing and selling a product and what it's evolving into and what we wanted to f help force the industry into is no people don't know how to manage their portfolios don't sell them a product sell them a fiduciary sell them a portfolio manager that'll take care of them and that's what's going on out there today so now there's 64 pages of lawsuits out there where employers are being sued providers are being sued and it's all moving in this direction towards the participant needs a fiduciary. The company, the plan sponsor, needs a fiduciary. Right now, they're the fiduciary, and they don't know what they're doing. They think they do, but they don't. 
we find errors that violate law from the Supreme Court in over 90% of the plans that we look at. That means advisors aren't taking care of them the way they should because they have conflicts of interest or they're not fiduciaries and or the plan sponsor is just in over their head and doesn't know how to analyze the fee schedules, the performance, knows how to benchmark. They need help. We are really passionate about helping it. The average, average Joe citizen out there has a chance at wealth through two things, their house and their 401k. We want to help them do that, not fee them to death on the way to the poor house. You know, the average 401k lasts a person five years in retirement. That's not going to do it. That's not much. Well, we're coming full circle now. Sure. And this goes back to your passion of helping individuals and companies make sure whatever money they have is protected and grows. Is that correct? Absolutely. And that brings up another key thing. You know, we buy and sell companies all the time. One of the things I found out, you know, 25 years ago is I might sell your company and you built widgets and these widgets you built made you a fortune of 50 or 100 or 200 million dollars and you were really good at building widgets. But then we give you this money and you really don't know how to manage it. And we would see guys blow through their fortunes because they didn't know how to manage it. No different than the problem of giving a 22-year-old professional athlete you know, $50 million and say, good luck. You know, if you're not trained to deal with it, it's almost cruel to sell this company and give him the cash because you knew how to run the widget company. What do you do with that money when you get it? If you don't understand that, you need to have a professional that can sit down with you and ask you where you want to go, what you want to do with it, and you're that person. Uh, we can help people with that, obviously. And I think you're going to see, I'd like to see the, the world change a little bit here. I'd like to see more fiduciary standards implemented in the industry rather than all this commission-based standards. I think it's better for the consumer. I think it's better for the participant. The industry is resisting it. We're one of the few out there waving the flag saying, bring it on. It's what's best for the people. We're in the state of Texas. The state of Texas is known for oil. Where's the oil business going? What what do you do with oil? You know, it's fascinating. Uh, if you, you really people need to really watch what's going on in Midland, Odessa. That Permian Basin is nuts. It's absolutely nuts. And I suggest everyone in Texas take a trip out there, and their mouths will fall to the ground. There's so many trucks. There's so much traffic. They can't get anywhere. There's no infrastructure. They need buildings. They need roads. They need oil field services. They're at $2 billion, 2 billion barrels a day, and they need to be at $10 billion. And it's not that the oil isn't there for $10 billion. It's where do we get the infrastructure to do it. And it's so key for Texas and America because it helps us be energy independent. And when we're energy independent, we don't have wars and issues like we do now in the Middle East or Russia or other things because it's always about the money. It's always about the money. And it, it drives everything in this country. And so Midland Odessa is really important to not only the world and the nation, but also Texas. Well, you have 25 years in this business. Where do you go from here? Where do you see your business five to 10 years from now? You know, that's interesting. I think we will be doing more money management. We will still be in the deal business, but the growth is in the money management side. We're helping small foundations and endowments perform like bigger colleges and universities. Uh, we're helping uh, uh, retirement plans, 401k business, 403b. We want to help smaller investments, smaller investors learn to manage money like institutions, 
your teacher retirement system is a $130 billion institution. And the biggest lesson I learned there is this is not that hard. If we can do it here, we can do it for the little guy. We just need to remember a few basic things. And one of them is fees. Avoid all the fees that you can. And right now, too many people pay too much in fees for a little performance. It's okay to pay fees for the performance, but if you're not getting it, you shouldn't be paying for it. You mentioned earlier that you have a small organization, about 50 people. How did you develop your leadership style to be able to get your people to do what needed to be done to run your company? It, it, uh, my leadership style is still evolving. I'm still growing. Uh, I've started out as a producer. I'm a hyperactive producer. I get up early with no alarm clock. I wake at 4 or 4.30, and I work all day, and I love it, and I'm, I'm, I'm driven by it. A lot of what I do is a little bit of management by exception. I try to be observant and see where that's not working and then do a little mentoring as well. But I try to hire a lot of professionals that don't need it. I try to hire people that are self-motivated that wake up in the morning with their hair on fire wanting to make a difference. If they need me to motivate them, I tell them it's going to be difficult because I'm kind of busy. But, you know, if you come that way already, then you're going to do very, very well here. And I try to hire a lot of people that are smarter than I am. It it helps me out a great deal. <laughs> I believe Henry Ford said that too. Best way to run a company is hire people that know more about it than you do. Absolutely. You know, your ego is your biggest enemy in a lot of things. It's your it's an it's an enemy in, in relationships. It's an enemy in leading people. It's an enemy in investing. You know, everyone thinks they're a great football coach, right, on Monday mornings. Same thing with investing. Everyone thinks they have the Midas touch. The key thing is to be humble and realize, hey, you're not going to bat a 1,000. I'm not going to bat a 1,000 in investing. I'm not going to bat a 1,000 in dealing with uh, clients or with my employees. But if I'm open and honest with them and confront any any issues and try to address them, usually people are pretty – pretty good about working with you. You know, it's interesting about investments and, and money. One of the things we're not taught in school is what to do with this money we're making once we get in the, in the, in the working world. So should someone have interest in finding out more about what you do, how do they get a hold of you? Sure. We, well, our website is uh, uh, commerceStreetCapital.com. Uh, also, uh, dwiley at cstreetholdings.com is my email. Or they can call us and look us up. I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, we're out there. We're pretty easy to access. I get uh, emails from students. I'm on the mentor board at SMU. Uh, uh, very involved at Texas Tech. Uh, involved at North Texas. Uh, we do a lot of things with UTD here in Dallas. I get emails from students all over the country. And if I have time, I'll talk to them. I'll meet with them. I'll buy them coffee. I love visiting with them because people did that for me when I was a kid and when I was young, and I, I always want to do that. Now, what I think I heard you say, reading between the lines or listening between the lines, is the more you give, the more you get, and you're willing to help other people. Uh, that is the, the theme. It doesn't always work out that way, but I don't mind. I'm not keeping score. You know, well, it's kind of a karma thing. Right. Uh, <laughs> it, they may not come back to you, but someone else will. Someone else doing. will. Well, Dory, thank you very much for being a part of Playmakers Talk Show. Thank you, Steve. It was an honor to be here, and I appreciate your time. Well, you're definitely a playmaker, and a playmaker is somebody that makes something happen. 
We just spoke with Dory Wiley. Dory is president and CEO of Commerce Street Holdings. This has been a terrific show. Uh, thank you very much for joining us and for listening to us. Join us again at PlaymakersTalkShow.com where you can get all of our past episodes. That's PlaymakersTalkShow.com, and we're going to be back with more Playmakers. See you then. You've been listening to Playmakers Talk Show with Steve Klein. Join Steve again at PlaymakersTalkShow.com for more interviews with interesting and successful playmaking CEOs and executives.